0: Welcome to Letters from the Lunchroom, a podcast by Communities and Schools of Mid-America. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge. Communities and Schools is a nationwide nonprofit which connects students and their families to local resources in order to remove barriers so that they will have greater success in school and in life. During this podcast, we talk to people who have a relationship with our organization. From students to staff members and alumni to volunteers, we know that people who connect with nonprofits have a story that led them there, and we want to know that story. In today's episode, we're talking with Becca Spielman, CIS of Min America's Field Director. Please stay tuned as we head into the lunchroom with Becca. and welcome to the lunchroom, Becca. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing well. How are you, Victoria?
0: I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day outside, which I appreciate. Um, so if you would, would you please take a
1: moment and introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. So, uh, I'm Becca Spielman. I am uh, the field director for our North Region in Communities and Schools of Mid-America. The North Region covers um, kind of what we lovingly refer to as Northeast Kansas and Waterloo, Iowa. So I have the privilege of supervising 10 site coordinators who are serving areas of uh, Lawrence, Kansas, Topeka, Kansas, the Johnson County community in Kansas, and then Waterloo, Iowa, um, which is northern part of Iowa,
0: and I know that you've been working with communities and schools for about three and a half years, mm-hmm. but you haven't always been in this role. So what role did you start out in? Yeah.
1: Sure. So, um, I've been in the nonprofit field for, I I think, around 18 plus years. Um, so I, I really have had a lot of experience and it's, it started in my, uh, college years, kind of exposure to the world of the nonprofit sector. Um, I worked in a, um, a rescue mission, a homeless shelter, all through college. And so that was kind of my first exposure to working with vulnerable populations. And then from there, um, immediately graduating from college, I went into community mental health work, uh, worked in that field for a little while, worked with folks with developmental disabilities, um, then went to grad school in St. Louis, um, where I began working with folks who um were uh, engaged in the cr- uh, criminal justice field. So those who are on probation or parole in St. Louis County and St. Louis City. And I worked with them on uh, understanding the impact of uh, their crime on on their victims. And so victims being more than just the individual who was directly impacted by the crime, but indirectly impacted as well. Um, so we speak about kind of the ripple effect of, of um, what they had done, what their criminal activity was. Um, from there, I worked a little bit in foster care, and so I worked as a foster care case manager. Um, I returned to uh, Kansas after being in grad school in St. Louis and uh, worked for a local domestic violence agency. Uh, I was in that position for about five and a half years uh, before I came to communities and schools in in this position as the field director.
0: Have you ever worked for a
1: for-profit? Um, in high school, I worked at a pharmacy. Does that count?
0: <laughs> no. Yeah, I just I was surprised because <laughs> I didn't realize that you had worked for nonprofits for essentially like your entire or a good chunk of your adult life. Yeah, and that's really uh, impressive. Thank so. You you talked about college Mm -hmm. and I want to kind of dig even further back. So do you know where in your life you first, like your passion for working with people and helping people and making that your sort of, I don't know, um, your career, I guess, is how you would put it. Do you know where that started?
1: You know, I can't necessarily pinpoint an exact moment, um, you know, in which that started. I, I, I grew up in a very privileged home. Um, I am I'm the middle child um, in a middle class white. American family, um, lived in a small town and didn't really have a lot of exposure to or understanding of the experiences of vulnerable or oppressed populations. Um, and so for me, I I don't really know the moment that, um, I came to understand things a little bit differently, but I do recall that, um, in high school, one of my career goals was to be a, um, Investigative journalist. And so I wanted to bring out these issues of uh, disenfranch- disenfranchisement, uh, discrimination, oppression. I wanted folks in the larger community to know what was happening around their world. Um, and so I, I remember, you know, really connecting with um, social justice issues at an early age. Uh, And so I don't know at what point that really started, but that's kind of always been an inherent aspect, I think, of my personality.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. And another thing that you said that really kind of stood out to me was such a wide variety. I mean, whenever you talk about social justice issues and having an interest and a true passion for it, you have a true passion for a large variety of social justice issues. Um. I mean, that's clear from the work that you've done. So with that in mind, are there certain ones that you feel like the most passionate about?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think one of the things that really drew me to this work in particular is that um, for me, it's uh, victims and survivors of, of trauma and violence, I think, are um, particular areas of passion for me, working with folks who have been wronged um, in some way, working with folks who have been traumatized. And so recognizing that a lot of the work that we do, particularly the site coordinators in many of the communities that I supervise, um, they're working with those kiddos who are experiencing things that I can't even imagine experiencing. And so um, a lot of their work really is crisis intervention work. It's about supporting those who are vulnerable. Um, It's about connecting with and allowing um, opportunities for children and families to get the resources that they need, Um, and really just kind of giving them a platform to be able to to share their stories, to experience validation, um, to connect with others who may have gone through similar things. And so I think that really drew me to this work, knowing that many of the students we serve um, have, have experienced things that I can't even begin to imagine.
0: Well, and I appreciate you bringing that up because one of the purposes of this podcast is to help explain the the wide range of supports that communities and schools provides to students and their families. And as we we are going into, you know, our 30 something episode, we're still I think explaining the work that we do not because it is difficult to explain, but because we are A program that um, has the opportunity to provide a wide variety of supports because we really are customized to every school, to every community. And because of the way that we're funded, we aren't required to only provide certain supports for certain kiddos, but it's really any kid with any need. And so as you were talking about those kids who are uh, survivors Mm -hmm. of different types of trauma, I think that's a support that we really haven't spoken about very often in this podcast. Um, In your role, you've worked with a lot of site coordinators and you've seen them provide a lot of supports and services. What are some of the supports, services, or even success stories that stand out most to you?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that um, is pretty easy to observe are the provision of basic needs. And so, you know, one of the things that I think are really easy for us to talk about um, are when we're able to make that direct contact with families and meet their most basic needs that they may have. Um, and so I like to talk about those things because I think in a lot of ways, they can kind of become a, um, a bridge into developing that relationship and addressing even larger needs that folks may have. Um, and so there's one particular story that I, that I wanted to share with you all. Um, and this is about a, a family that a site coordinator had worked with, um, I believe it was a couple of years ago. Um, It was a a mother who um, had five children. Uh, She was a single mom and had just relocated to the area. Um, She had moved to the area actually because she was fleeing a a violent situation in her home and um, came to... To the community and really didn't have a lot of access to resources, um, was fairly unfamiliar with the area. I'm assuming that maybe she had some kind of family or some support here, um, but as a single mom with five kids, uh, didn't necessarily have the financial resources to be able to provide for her kiddos. In um, and, and particular, um, they were in need of, of food and clothing. Uh, so the site coordinator was really able to, to make that connection very quickly um, through our partnership with the Back Snack program through Harvesters. Um, we were able to get food assistance to the family. Um, we were also able to provide clothing uh, with five kids. As you can imagine, they grow very quickly and grow out of things. And so um, being able to, to provide that support and, and accommodate uh, those financial needs, I think, was really powerful. For the family. Um, And so, mom was able to get food provided to her kids. She was able to get clothing provided to her kids um, so they could then focus on school and the social and emotional learning um, that was taking place within that building, in addition to their academic learning. Um, But as a result of that relationship, then the site coordinator was able to um, kind of serve in a liaison role, you know, really. Uh, connect with the family and and grow to establish rapport and trust um, to the point that this mother was actually able to disclose to the site coordinator um, the situation that led them into the community to begin with. And so as she opened up to the site coordinator, the site coordinator was then able to assess and see some of the emotional needs um, that the children were expressing. So. Um, Really, kiddos, some of them were very withdrawn in the classroom, again, because of the violence that they had been exposed to. Um, some of them were incredibly aggressive because they didn't understand what nonviolent, peaceful conflict resolution was. They didn't understand how to assert their needs without being aggressive. Um, and so all of those things were impacting the children's learning But until the mother was able to disclose that information, I don't think that folks really understood the gravity of the situation. Um, And so in that assessment, in that relationship with the mother, um, our site coordinator was really able to then connect the resources in order to be able to support those kiddos. So connect them um, to for example, mentors in the community who were able to talk with them about how to advocate for oneself in the classroom, how to engage, Um, then working with local nonprofits to really work on healthy relationships within the classroom setting and within friendships. How do we have conversations with other people without um, having a winner and a loser? So those kinds of things were assessments that we wouldn't have necessarily been able to make without providing that most basic need. And so I think it's really critical that we highlight not only the ways in which we're able to do those direct supports, but then also how those direct supports allow us to be able to build relationship with families so that they are then safe enough to talk with us about ongoing needs that they have. Um, And so I think that's a really powerful story. Uh, That family in particular, um, the mother became so engaged in her child's education, her children, I should say, education as a result of these positive interventions that were taking place in her kiddo's life. That she then became active, actively involved in the parent-teacher organization, and became an advocate for other families. So that when they're trying to navigate and understand the nuances of of being a parent, but also being engaged in your child's education, um, she was able to come alongside them and model what it meant to be um, an advocate for her own kids and for their kids and in, in that school. So I think that was a really powerful um, story that demonstrated just the, the multi-tiered interventions that take place in the lives of these families and the lives of these kiddos as a result of the relationships our site coordinators have. It's, It's incredible. I'm
0: kind of floored because I, I've never really heard a story that had quite the, um, the start to quote unquote finish, um, in regards to having this, this this person this individual who is coming in with trauma and all of the barriers that are attached to having trauma and going through something that creates trauma and then and also the the kids and then having seeing like hearing i guess how it was removed through the relationship and how that was built through the resources and supports that we provide it's just amazing and to yeah. know that that ripple effect extended into that mother then becoming engaged, which is huge in her, Mm -hmm. her kids education and becoming a part of the school in regards to the PTO and then turning around and being so (sighs) empowered that she was able to able to then advocate for other families. And to me, that's absolutely incredible. So I'm really
1: blown away. Thank you so much for bringing that
0: story to the podcast.
1: Well, I just think it's, it's indicative of the work that all of our site coordinators do. And I think, you know, sometimes it's hard to truly articulate, um, like you said, from start to finish doesn't always happen, but also to just articulate the impact that our site coordinators have um, on a large scale with the families that we serve. You know, sometimes we we see the smaller successes, but we don't necessarily see um, the, the long term impacts that we're making. And I think it's it's pretty incredible to know that that that's a big reason why we're here. And and, you know, really um, our role is is empowering families to be um, connected within their community and in ways that perhaps maybe other organizations um, aren't able to do.
0: Well, and something else that, you know, as I'm listening to you, because before we started recording, we talked about how it's been a minute since I've had a director um, on the podcast. In fact, you're the first field director that we've had on the podcast this season, and our season has been active since July of 2019. Right. And one of the things that I think is really beneficial of talking to a wide variety of people is you get to hear different views of the story, which is why we do talk to Different people. We talk to administrators, volunteers, site coordinators, funders, etc. One of the beauty, beauties that I think of talking to an area director or a field director, someone who is a direct supervisor of site coordinators, is that you tell the story from a different point of view than the site coordinators. Site coordinators, they don't always um, toot their own horns, you know? They're very right humble, they know the work they're doing is important, but it's, it's really, it's important to tell that story and to hear it from the field director's perspective, where you're not the one, you know, doing the work firsthand, but rather you're the one observing, I think is really, really critical. And um, the other thing that you pointed out that I think is worth following up on is that, you know, we do talk about how we are giving those tangible items. We are providing basic needs. We do that. It's a very common support that communities and schools provides at almost every single school that we are in. However, it's so much more than just the food. It's an Mm -hmm. opportunity to connect with the families. It's an opportunity to bridge the gap and to form those relationships. And your story was a key, key example. And I love that.
1: Thank you. Um, I think that's that's my absolute favorite part of the job is being able to highlight the work that our site coordinators do, because for all of those reasons that you mentioned that, you know, they are on the ground day in and day out. And I don't even know how many of them truly recognize the impact that they're making. Um, and, and so I think it's, I think it's a really uh, beautiful opportunity that field directors have to be able to highlight those things and really just gently remind site coordinators of the impact that they're making.
0: So one of the questions that I typically ask earlier on in the conversation, but at the same time, I like these conversations to unfold pretty organically, so we didn't talk about it at first. Um, If you would, we talked about your history. We talked Mm -hmm. about um, the jobs that you had before this. We talked about your education a bit. When was it, if you remember, the very first time that you heard about communities and schools and what was your sort of first thought about it?
1: Uh, it's really actually kind of uh, humorous. My first exposure to communities and schools um, was in college, interestingly enough, and. Um, and it's humorous because I didn't realize that that was my first exposure to communities and schools until after I had taken this job. Um, so I I uh, graduated with a degree in human services. And the way that I kind of um, articulate the difference between human services and social work, and I, I have a master's in social work, so I've had the opportunity to kind of um, be actively engaged in both departments is that, um, at least my experience, um, at Washburn in Topeka is that human services, um, has a more, um, I want to say boots on the ground kind of grassroots, uh, grassroots approach perhaps to social justice, um, in ways that maybe the social work field, at least in my experience, is perhaps a bit more um, professionalized, if that's even a word. <laughs> you know, the idea that um, mm-hmm. it, it kind of, there's a little more flexibility, perhaps, in in human services. Um, we had a lot of conversation about um, uh, social justice issues in ways that I think um, may have... Um, been a, a little more controversial, perhaps, than what uh, the social social work uh, school would have allowed for. But um, I say all that to say that one of the things that came up in one of my classes was um, uh, the professor that I had was talking about this really innovative organization called Communities and Schools. And so this idea, and this was happening in New York, um, and so this would have been I'm going to date myself for a minute. This would have probably been in 2002, 2003, um, where this conversation was happening. So before we as an organization, uh, mid-AM organization, started doing direct service work, um, but he was referencing the organization in New York and how the work that was being done in New York was taking a building that folks already access, um, a school and creating a one-stop shop within that school for service delivery so that the folks who utilize that building, that space, don't have to go to multiple places to get their needs met. Um, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. I was like, that's amazing. More nonprofit organizations should be like that. Like we should remove those barriers that folks have. And so that way they're not having to, you know, miss entire days of work or worry about transportation or think about childcare um, in order to make multiple appointments or have to call multiple places and be on hold for hours and whatever um, that sometimes the social welfare system um, creates. And so that was kind of my first exposure. And then, you know, fast forward, didn't really think much more about it, just thought that was a really cool idea. Um, and then when I applied for this position and it was during my training, uh, that my supervisor was sharing stories and kind of, um, helping me understand the model of service delivery, I went, Oh, that's the same organization that I had heard about so many years ago. So, um, it, it, it definitely didn't strike me right away, and I didn't connect the name right away, but I connected the concept pretty quickly. And so for me, it was, um, it was a very profound, um, impactful, innovative, but super simple way of thinking about uh, connecting folks to the resources that they need to be successful. And um, for me, that just made sense. The whole model just makes sense.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I agree that the model makes sense. And I think that one of the things that seems to throw people off is that because of what I was talking about earlier and what we've sort of talked about this entire time is that we are able to provide such a variety of supports for students and that's unique to communities and schools. Whereas a lot of nonprofits typically have a more narrow um, range of services that they can provide. So as we're telling people what we do, they're kind of waiting for like uh, that, that, you know, sort of catch like, oh, but except for not this or not this <laughs> with us, it, it truly is right. it's like, what, 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 what can I help you with? You know, we are here to help and we will figure out a way right. to help
1: you. Right. And I think that sometimes becomes a challenge then, you know, for um, how do you, how do you tell the story when the stories are so individualized? But I think that's the power of the organization. Absolutely.
0: I agree. Well, um, with that, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with your letter. So please stay tuned. Welcome back. As part of our show, we ask each guest to write a letter to the students that communities and schools serves. The only guideline they are given is that it must come from the heart. We also warn them that they will be asked to read their letter aloud during the podcast. So, Becca, if you would, please
1: read your letter. Dear student, I think about some of the experiences you may have had and how difficult life may be for you. You may feel alone and scared some of the time. You may not know where you are going to sleep tonight or where your next meal will come from. You may even wonder if there is anyone out there who cares who truly cares about you. It breaks my heart to think that this may be your reality, but I am here to tell you that you aren't alone, that you are thought about, you are cared about for who you are and valued beyond measure. There are people who are committed to you and to your success. They believe in you and they see your potential. They know that this world is better because you are in it. These caring adults, our site coordinators care I mean, they really care. They miss you when you aren't around, they celebrate with you when you succeed, and they listen to you when your heart is breaking. They come to work every day because they care, because they believe in you, because you are worth it. In time, you will grow to see yourself the way they see you, the way we all see you, worthy and valued for all that you are. But for now, please take comfort in knowing that you are not alone, and we will walk this journey with you.
0: So Becca, you said something that kind of broke my heart. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's 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 because of what's happening in the world right now. You yeah. said that the site coordinators miss the students. And I, I have tears in my eyes right now because right now we're recording this um, on April 1st, 2020. Right. And um, even though, and this podcast will go out in a couple of weeks, um, but right now the world is going through the global pandemic of COVID-19 and things are changing very, very rapidly. Correct. And approximately three weeks ago, our, the, the governor of Kansas um, closed down Kansas schools for the remainder of the school year. And then shortly after that, the rest of the schools in the CIS of Mid-American Network were closed down for the remainder of the school year. Um, Many states are doing uh, stay-at-home orders, and because of all of this, our site coordinators are no longer seeing students in person. We, as an organization, quickly shifted our supports so that we were able to continue providing supports and services in this new normal of our world, but a side effect is that one of the things that our site coordinators was very used to doing was providing face-to-face in-person support and they're no longer getting to do that. Right. And I know it breaks a lot of their hearts. I know it's really hard on our site coordinators, um, just as it's hard for teachers who are used to seeing their kids every day.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's one of the things that we, we talk about consistently in our, um, meetings that we have our, our North area meetings that we have twice a week. Um, we do a check-in and inevitably the things that our folks talk about is um, they're they're thinking about their kids and they're wishing that they could see them and they're wishing that they could know that they're doing okay. And I think that that's one of the hardest things that they're experiencing right now is just that, that loss and that uncertainty. Um, we talk about how many of our site coordinators know what happens in those kiddos' homes and they know what those kiddos experience. And so Um, You know, it's it's a heavy burden that they that they bear, um, not being able to see them every day. Mm -hmm. Although I'm very
0: very impressed with how proactive everybody has been, yes, um, within our network in regards to quickly shifting gears and keeping a very open mind for how can we now support these kids? Because just as we've been talking about this entire podcast, we are truly here to do literally whatever we can to help out these kids and their families, and. Even in the wake of something that we didn't predict a year ago was going to happen, um, we worked very quickly to really eliminate there being any gap in services. And I've just been so impressed with all of the site coordinators and you guys, the directors who have been working very hard to make the changes necessary.
1: Yeah, their, their commitment, um, the site coordinators in particular, but also, you know, the, the leadership within the organization, um, commitment to continuing to support children and families has been, um, so powerful to see. It's been really inspiring. Truly. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, um,
0: going back to your action, the letter itself, whenever you sat down to write it, you could have Mm -hmm. chosen to write on a variety of topics. Mm -hmm did you find that it was difficult to
1: settle on what you decided to write? At first, yes. Um, I think getting pen to paper uh, and really thinking about um, what I wanted to say, uh, it took a while. But then um, I thought about my own kiddo um, and I thought about the experiences that we had um, raising Baxter, our child who we adopted um, out of foster care. And just thinking about what he has been through in his life. And, and as, um, as someone who uh, knows him and loves him, um, if I were in a situation like many of our site coordinators are, what would I want to say to him? And so that was really where this letter came from.
0: Oh my gosh, that makes it even more touching. Um, hopefully Baxter listens to this episode. (laughs)
1: He's a teenager, so he's probably not interested. <laughs> if it's if it's not cool enough for him, no, I will force him to listen to it.
0: <laughs> it's super cool to We promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um so another question that I like to ask people whenever they have read their letter aloud is how did it feel to share those words out with everybody?
1: Um You know, I read it out loud a couple of times and I practiced Uh, (laughs) and um, I think I was far more emotional (laughs) this time reading it than I than I had been. But, um, you know, I think it was just it was just my heart, you know, and it was just um, the sincerity of how I feel. And I think it there's nothing um, in me that that didn't want to put it out there. It feels good to be able to say it because I really do believe it. And I believe that every single one of the folks that we work with believes it too.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mentioned earlier that this is our 30 something episode and, you know, that means 30 something letters and every single one of them has been so unique mm-hmm. and has been so full of love and inspiration and support. And yeah, they, they're they honestly one of my favorite parts of of recording these shows is, is hearing people and how they, they, they put it down and, and what they want to say to our kids. And I don't know, there's just so much good in this world. And yeah. I feel so lucky that I get to be able to share those stories. So is there anything else, uh, regarding the letter or anything that we've talked about that you would like to share before we
1: move on to the last part of this episode? Well, I, I would say that, um, I think this conversation and particularly thinking about, um, the nature of, of where we are right now and in the midst of this, um, global pandemic is, uh, it it reminds me, excuse me, it reminds me of a quote, um, that we received from a high school student. I think we alluded to the fact how high school students, particularly teenagers, although my kiddo isn't in high school anymore. Um, you know, I, I think articulating, um, feelings and, um, true vulnerability can sometimes be hard for adolescents, just like it's hard for anyone else. But um, I I received a note from a site coordinator who had been uh, given a note by their uh, teenager that they were working with. Um, and it made me think about the nature of, of what we're experiencing now. And so if it's okay, I would love to read this quote um, that this particular high school student shared. Please do. Thank you for giving me clothes when I needed them, food when I was hungry, hugging me when I was sad, and not forgetting me even when we didn't see each other. Thank you for reminding me of who I am when I saw myself as much less. Thank you for working with me out of the kindness and generosity of your heart and not because it's your job. Thank you for caring for me when no one else did. Thank you for everything. And I think that quote really stands out to me for a couple of reasons. One, it is a constant daily reminder of the work that our site coordinators do. But two, um, there's a particular point in which it says, even when we didn't see each other. And I think the relationships that our site coordinators have um, created with the folks that they serve, regardless of whether or not they're able to see their students and see the families these kiddos and these families know that they're being thought of and they know that they're not being forgotten. And so I think it's it's just a time in which we um, are working to ensure that families and students recognize that we're not going anywhere and we are right here for whatever they may need. It truly
0: is the impact of a relationship with one caring adult thank you so much for sharing that quote by the way um it kind of took my breath away um because you're right it it really it speaks volumes on the work Mm -hmm. that our site coordinators do every day every single day we're going to take another break and then we will be back with some extra credit We are back. Okay, Becca, are you ready for some extra credit questions? Absolutely. Bring it on. Your first question is, what is your current favorite song to sing to?
1: Wow. Um, my current favorite song to sing to. You know, it's funny. I probably have a million of them, and then of course the mind goes blank, right? Um, for some reason, and maybe because it's a sunny day right now, but I have walking on sunshine stuck in my head. So let's go with that. Walking on sunshine. I love it. Yeah.
0: And I do think it's appropriate for the day because it is beautiful outside and in the days of quarantine where we've all been inside for weeks now, having these sunny days is something that I'm very grateful for because if we were in quarantine when it was gloomy or freezing outside, I think that it would be much more difficult, but at least it's beautiful and sunny. For sure. We have that. There you go. Mm -hmm. Your second question is, if you could pick one superpower to have, what would you choose and why?
1: You know, I think if it wasn't this time uh, within our world, I would probably pick something like flying um, Mm -hmm. because I think that would be really cool. But like I was thinking about this and I would love if this is a superpower of some sort to be able to create um, like uh, protective bubbles around folks so that we could be closer and connect with each other in in more uh, face to face ways. So I'm, I'm going to create protective bubbles. Oh, How about that? Is that a superpower? Sure. I love it. And I, <laughs> you can make whatever you want. <laughs> ah, sweet. Then I'm making bubbles and, all over.
0: <laughs> heck yes. <laughs> you get a bubble and you get a bubble. Everybody gets a bubble.
1: Oh, I'm so generous today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> love it. OK, so your final question is, what is the number one reason why you feel that people should get involved with communities and schools?
1: Because of the work. Um, it's it's powerful. It's life changing. Um, I think that the work that we do is so connected to everything in life. Um, I think that a lot of folks can find themselves in this work, whether it's a, an interest in education or whether it's an interest in social justice or whether it's an opportunity to um, improve the lives of others through economic stability. I mean there's so many opportunities to see yourself and your passion um, in this work. And I think being able to make a difference in the lives of others can't be more meaningful. Um, I see it every day. I see it in the volunteers. I see it in the site coordinators. I see it in the kids and families that we serve. This work is powerful. It's meaningful. And I can guarantee that if someone gets involved, they would not be disappointed. Very nice. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Letters from the Lunchroom. For more information on communities and schools of Mid-America, please check out our website at cismidamerica.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a rating, and follow us on social media. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge, and until next time, class is dismissed.